It's time for our kids' corner. If uh, kids could come up here, tell you what, here I'm going to bring my dirty laundry down here. And... <clears throat> now, so if you're anything like my house, I'm going to do this so y'all kids feel at home. <laughs> so here, let's spread that around a little bit. So come on up. <laughs> so. Aurora, I'm glad you could join us again today. So, um, is it easy to keep your bedroom nice and clean, or does that kind of take like a day-to-day effort to make it happen? Yeah, day-to-day effort for sure. Actually, I can't tell you how how much I'm with you on that. I, I seem to recall actually not too long after Lisa and I got married, um, you know, see, I, I was one of those leave your, leave your laundry on the floor kind of guys when I was single, right? And uh, anyway, I walked home from work, got home from work one day, walked in the house, and my wife said to me, are those your underwear on the bedroom floor? And, and I thought, well, I hope so, or we're going to really have to have a conversation. But, you know. but anyway... You know, here's the thing. To make the change to keep your room neat all the time, actually, that change has to start somewhere else. It has to kind of start inside, right? You you kind of follow what I'm saying? Like, you have to make the decision to do it, and you have to make yourself want to do it even on times when you don't want to do it, right? You know, and... uh, And we all have those areas in life, but the point of my sermon, what I want to talk with the bigger people about today, is how so much depends on what's inside and the changes that we make in here and in here especially. And, you know, those changes, they're not real easy to do. I mean, it's not very easy to decide to live differently and then go do it, is it? I mean, even when you're little, you realize that's kind of hard to do, right? Yeah. And it's hard to do for big people, too. Um, But, you know, I want to be encouraging here because the Bible says that we are a lot more powerful than we think we are. It says we're powerful enough to move mountains, even. I don't know about you, but mountains are pretty big. I'm not so sure I could move one of those. But... uh, I think the mountain that Jesus is talking about are impediments in our lives. We can overcome all kinds of things, and we're a lot more powerful than we think we are. We have a lot more control than we think we do with God in our heart. The thing is, it's not just going to spring up one morning like this. You know, like, what's the chance that I wake up one morning and I didn't do anything the day before but I got muscles like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is that likely going to happen? No, no, it's going to take a lot of work to get there, right? You know, I'm probably not going to wake up one morning and know as much as Albert Einstein. I'm going to have to do a lot of studying to get there. You know, and it's the same with walking with Jesus and spiritual power. I'm not going to have the faith of Paul until I really bring a lot of stuff back into my own heart here. And so, 
Anyway, my laundry exercise here is just sort of an external thing. You know, a lot of people also think that, you know, because change on the inside is hard, they're just going to focus on the stuff on the outside. You know, and I want to talk to the bigger people about that one too. So, well, you say, why don't we go back and find mom and dad and see what comes next here. So, oh, I hate picking up laundry. <laughs> so, so, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my salvation, my redeemer and salvation. And, you know, just so that the record is straight here, the purpose of all of the preaching here, really, is so that we all can live more fully in the kingdom of God, right? You know, and and I want to kind of elaborate on that a little bit more in my sermon. But at first, I want to start with a story that goes kind of like this. And some of you have already heard this, so please bear with me if this is a story you've already heard. But, you know, in order to fix problems, we need to diagnose the problem correctly. Would you agree? You know, I mean, if we are trying to fix something that isn't really the problem, we're probably not going to be too successful. So here's my story. A number of months ago, I decided I better get a shingles shot. And I decided that because my, my wife had this and I knew after she had it, I surely didn't want it, right? So I went in, uh, saw the doctor, got my shingles vaccine, and at the same time began a regimen of vitamin B12. And I went home and things were fine for a little while. And about two days, three days into this, I woke up in the middle of the night and it felt like all my body hair was standing on end. I thought there was so much static in my bed, I couldn't imagine what was going on with me. So I went, and while I was now awake and itchy and kind of trying to, you know, uh, lay down the, the body hair and get unprickly or whatever, I went to the bathroom and I realized when I was in there that I had little spots developing all over my skin and that they were itchy and if I scratched them a little bit, they began to ooze and I thought, oh no, what's going on here? So now I was wide awake and I went to the trusty computer to (laughs) look up, you know, potential side effects to the shingles vaccine. And it said in there that something like one out of 600 some thousand people that get this vaccine get chicken pox. And I thought, oh no, I did this to myself yet. I mean, and I was so sure that I had that and that's what was coming. I didn't think for a minute, I didn't even allow for the possibility that really what was going on was an allergic reaction to the vitamin that I was taking. So you see, if I don't diagnose the problem correctly, I don't get rid of it either, right? (laughs) Anyway, um, all this to say, we know we live in a world full of problems, and 
you know, it's not always that we can cure those problems, but at least we can come at them without a more problematic response. How about that? But if we don't diagnose them correctly, that's probably not going to happen. So where in the world do our problems lie, and what is the cure? And more often than not, those problems lie inside. I know it's easy to look around the world and say, this, that, and the other thing is wrong, and this person is wrong, and if only they would change, if only this circumstance would change. And by the way, if you're young, let me give you some advice, because I used to do this, and it was made a kind of shipwreck of my situation. You know, I'd encounter a problem, and I would think, well, as soon as I can get over this problem, my life is going to be good. My life will be perfect as long as I could get rid of this issue. Well, you know, I'd work on that, and no sooner that one would be gone, and the next iceberg would show up on the horizon, right? And sometimes more than one at a time. And, and this attitude fails. Because, you know what? No matter, there are going to be problems. So it isn't getting rid of the problems. It's how to deal with life and the problems that life throws at us. And most of that is on the inside. You know, when we diagnose problems to the outside, we think that the world needs to change. And I contend to you that there are a lot of people right now that for whatever reason, maybe, maybe they've tried to change on the inside and they've found that change is hard, and it can be. But because they've found that, they've given up working on the inside and instead are focused on all the different things they can do to change the world. And not that change shouldn't come or the world shouldn't change, or I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying to say this. If we've got the inside straight, what we see on the outside doesn't seem to be so bad all of a sudden. This pattern of focusing our energies on the outside isn't going to yield what we want it to do, want it to yield. And over the upcoming weeks, I want to kind of add to my course on offense here from a different angle, and it's spiritual transformation. That is, putting on the character of Jesus Christ through changing our heart. Now, what I'm talking about when I say the character of Jesus here is about feeling and thinking and acting and transforming ourselves into Christ-likeness. And we're doing that, we would do that <clears throat> in a world that desperately needs that kind of love. And, you know, it's not trite to say up here, Jesus loves you and so do I. Merrill used to say that. I should probably get in the habit of saying it more often. But here's the thing about it. How do we get that to the rest of the hurting world out there? And it, it depends on having our inside world right. You see, the Jesus revolution, not the one in the theater, by the way, but the one that began 2,000 years ago, is about transforming the world one heart at a time. Everyone, you and I, 
each has a spirit within us. And it's been formed. And that's true whether or not we believe it or not. And your spirit takes on whichever character it gains through your experiences and the choices that you make. That's called being formed. Now, our life and how we find the world is almost totally the result of what we've become on the inside, at the core of our being, the heart. Our heart is where our beliefs break into action. So I want to be clear here on the biblical concept of belief. See, belief isn't just thinking about it. Belief leads to action all the time. So let me give an analogy here. If I said, I believe there's a tornado coming, but I just stood here and said that, do you really, would you really think that I believed that the tornado was coming? Well, certainly if I thought it was coming, I would do something about it to protect myself, to protect everyone else in here, right? I wouldn't just sit here and talk about what I think is going to happen. You know, there's another analogy here. You know, two farmers were praying for rain, but one of those farmers went out and sowed his field. Which one believes that his prayer will be heard? Which one believes that rain will come? And so much flows from what we believe. Would any of us go pursue education, higher education, if we didn't believe we could get the job? It all starts here. Spiritual formation is what the Bible is all about, by the way. You know, only humans need to learn how to live. Only humans require education and wisdom and how to form people so that they're not self-destructive or destructive to other people. And again, all people get formed whether they want to or not or believe it or not. In fact, all civilizations have addressed this issue. And they all begin by asking the nature of man. Now, we don't we kind of take this for granted here in the West because we've had this tradition handed down to us through faith. But the Bible, at least in the case of Israel, sets out to form a new civilization. So it needs to do that by defining what people are. Again, always the problem in every civilization, becomes the inner self, the inside driving the outside life. So how do we solve the issue of wise living? You know, and further, everyone agrees about this, not just Christians. You know, we all need transformation. Transformation from the natural self is necessary if that weren't the case There wouldn't be a need for education or wisdom or schools. Um, There wouldn't be a need for, well, laws, frankly. The only disagreement then is on what needs to be transformed and how it gets transformed. And most societies have done this from the outside, through law and institution, changing the outside 
to affect the inside. Jesus' proposal kind of flips this on its ear, and it is a revolution of character from the inside into Christ-likeness. Through divinely renovated hearts, the very depths of our being, societal structures will naturally transform. It's like righteousness flowing down like water. It, it all flows downhill from the core on out, first to the mind, then the body, then society and the greater soul. And this is what the Bible refers to as the kingdom of God. It's transforming us into citizens of that kingdom here, now, it's at hand. I think we miss something in the church when we believe that the kingdom of God is something come in the future, not here today, we'll know it when it gets here somehow, or, you know, but we're not living in it right now, so we shouldn't consider it maybe, or well, we're waiting on it. But anyway, this might be kind of the biggest failure of the church in the sense that if we're not recognizing where we are, how do we welcome other people into that right now? You see, a good tree cannot help but bear good fruit, and vice versa. A carefully cultivated heart will, with the assistance of the grace of God, foresee, forestall, and transform the painful situations, the problems of our world, before which others stand like helpless children and endlessly ask, why? Why is this happening? Why me? Remembering back a few sermons ago, you know, mind, body, soul, spirit, these things are all intended to be one thing. The body, I'm sorry, the Bible is just listing them out in the way that it does to sort of say all of you, your entire being, right? So I want to focus in on the heart itself right now. See, heart, will, spirit, these things are all interchangeable to some extent. You know, the will, for example, is actually the putting into action. Actually, you should probably start this the other way around. The spirit is kind of the attitude of the heart. And the will is putting that attitude into action. The heart is all-encompassing will and attitude. It's the belief that leads to action. And you see, heart, the heart is actually good or bad. The attitude in there is good or bad. It's evil or good. Um, now, we have a lot of competition with this for these evil spirits, which, of course, in Greek is the word demon. And I don't want to dwell on that. I could go on a whole sermon on that one. But the, the idea here is, you know, all of this Christ in us, you know, I am in, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. This, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about the spirit, the attitude of the spirit dwelling down inside of us and how that wells up in belief that leads to action. 
So the heart, by the way, is where redemption takes place, and this is what needs to be cultivated. And from it, everything else spreads out from the core, kind of like layers of an onion. You know, the mind, then, and, you know, which encompasses feelings and emotions in our thought life. The mind is the gatekeeper to our heart. We hear the gospel. We learn how we're to interpret this. And our mind determines whether or not we're going to believe it. And we're going to let it into our heart. And we're going to act on it. Christ enters the heart through the mind. You know, the next layer then out beyond that is the body. And then as the Bible describes it, kind of the social sphere. And then around all of that is the soul. Um, Kind of like a target with concentric circles as I kind of envision it. The soul unifies everything together. And if the soul is broken, which it would be if it's broken at the core, life doesn't make sense. And the more broken, the less sense life makes. Instead of unification, we end up with a fragmented life. So Jesus came to bring us back to wholeness so that we could be fulfilled or have life to the full. The proposition then is to allow Jesus and his Holy Spirit to take more and more and more control of our heart and move me and my desires further and further out. Let Christ transform our thoughts, that is, our images, concepts, and our judgments, so they become more like Christ's. Our feelings, our emotions, let Jesus transform them into faith and hope and love and joy and peace so that that permeates all of the layers of our being. Let Christ transform our choices, our will, our decisions, and our character so that our choices become Jesus' choices, so that our choices become righteous. Let Christ transform our body, our, our actions, and our interactions so that they become Jesus' actions and more Christ-like. And our social context will follow. Our relations with others will be transformed too. And ultimately, our soul, the unification of all of these, becomes the soul of Jesus, brought more and more into the kingdom of Christ. Jesus interprets us and brings us into this kingdom of life, gradually, progressively, transforming our whole self, heart, mind, body, social context, you know, and ultimately our soul, so that we end up loving God with our whole self and becoming really the children of God that resemble God. Sin, then, is building our identity on anything else except God. The Pharisees, for example, built their identity on their own moral worth. This is sin. So seek first his kingdom, and all else will follow. 
Let's be more and more and begin to look more and more like the children of God that we were called to be. And maybe Lent is a good time to start this. This is a good time to hear this sermon. But above all, let's enjoy and share life in the kingdom of God to the full and make it irresistible to our neighbors.